Everyone feeling good? Good, because I get to preach on my like, favorite topic today. Well, I have like two favorite topics, and this is like my second favorite topic. My first favorite maybe is the last week of this series, but this is my second favorite, and so you are in for a treat. Um, we're on week two of a number, November series entitled The Reset, where we're taking a closer look at how to be faithful to our commitment to Jesus as we live in a culture of overwhelming confusion and compromise. How to be faithful. And we started last week talking about Jesus and how he is the only firm foundation for Christians to build their life and faith on. Why? First, it's because he's, it, Jesus is the, is the only reason we exist. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things, full stop. The second reason is because he's the only reason we can have faith. He's the author and perfecter for all faithfulness. And so last week, what we wanted to do is just frame the reality that we'll be approaching for the rest of the series, the reality that Jesus is supreme. Amen. He is supreme over everyone and everything. He is the greatest that ever was and ever will be, greater than anything we can see or can't see, greater than anything we could think or imagine. This is Jesus the Christ, and he created a future for the world to walk into. And he created a foundation, a new foundation for the faithful to build on through his death and resurrection, a foundation that we must build our lives on. And so, all that said, as we build our lives on Jesus, today on his firm foundation, I'd like to talk about the first floor of our house of faith that we are building. Does that make sense? So, if Jesus is the foundation, he's like the, the core foundation to build on. Today, I want to talk about what must be for, built first, a structure by which, if bypassed, would lead to eventual collapse and absolute ruin of not only your faith, but also your life. And that is, the first floor we're building is your understanding and application of truth. Truth and what is truth. Friends, I believe there's nothing more important to the future than, than where they look to for truth. There's nothing more important because truth determines what they believe to be true, which then creates pre-decisions that go on to shape just about every area of our lives. Truth determines our impulses. Truth determines our actions and our thoughts, our behaviors. It determines our vision and decision and dreams for the future. Friends, your understanding of and your framework for truth is what every other structure of your life is built on. And so today, it's my goal that we would all take a moment to pause and do an inspection an inspection of this first floor of our lives where we, for where we find truth and what is truth. And it's all for the purpose of faithfulness, okay? It's not legalism. None of this is about legalistically being good enough to deserve anything from God. It's all so we might be faithful to obey what we say we believe. So as we begin today, um, in a message I want to call the truth and what is truth, true, I want to start by getting a few things out of the way, um, along with kind of giving you a big idea for what I want you to be taking home today. First, the first thing is I, I want you to know that this message today is primarily directed at Christians, at those who have given their whole life to Jesus. Today's message is focused towards God's saved and set apart people who have died to their former way and been raised to new life 
Christ. The Apostle Paul describes those people, Christians, like this in Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite texts. It says this. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, and you know it. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But, verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Why? So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Just a bit more, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast. And this is it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And friends, this is the description of the Christian walk. This is, this, is the, this is what we see to inspire our pursuit of Jesus. This is what Christians are. And it's to them, it's to the masterpieces of God's mercy created anew to do good things. It's to them, to you, that I'm speaking to this morning. Now, if you're not a Christian in the house today, or if you're still figuring out what it means to believe or follow Jesus, I, I get it. Perhaps this message will inspire you to commit your life to Jesus. Praise the Lord. But I just wanted to get that out of the way on the front end, I wanted to tell you my intended audience because so much of what we'll be talking about today is truth-related. And, and it must be filtered through a lens of a renewed heart and a renewed mind. A and much of what we'll be talking about is at odds with what the world might believe is true or real or good. And so it's important to just identify the audience. Does that make sense? Of course it does, Pastor David. So today's message, again— it's for those who have willingly given their hearts, minds, their wills, their preferences, their vision, their understanding, surrendered all things to Jesus. It is to you I am speaking. Now that's the preface. Now here's the big idea that I want you to bring home with today. The big idea is that Jesus is the only one who has the power to determine and decide what's true. Jesus determines and decides what's true. Can you say that with me, church? Let's say that. Jesus determines and decides what's true. This is what Christians, just like you and me, have understood and applied for more than 2,000 years. Jesus determines and decides what's true. And we acknowledge this, just like Christians across all space and time. We acknowledge this because we believe Jesus when he says in John 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one come to the, can come to the Father except through me. And we acknowledge this reality because we believe John chapter 1, verse 17, when it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the big idea I need you to walk home with today is that we believe Jesus determines what's true because we believe Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth, and he decides what's true in all things. Amen. Full stop. Now, quick question. How does that sit with you? How does that make you feel? Think about that for a second, because I tell you what, if you took a poll of a thousand people outside this door, just down the street in La Crescenta, and you ask them, what is truth and who decides? I promise you, the minority opinion of the world today would be Jesus. The majority would likely be what? Me, right? And that's because we live in a world that is force-feeding us a lie of self. The lie that says we can determine and decide what's true and right and real based on any number of individualistic parameters. And, and listen, we all know this lie because we've all experienced it. And we've all fallen victim to it more often than we'd like to admit which is why it's so vital for us as Christians to have a focused conversation on truth. Because if Jesus is the truth, which again, this is like the orthodox confession across the past 2,000 years. If Jesus is the truth and determines what's true, what does that mean for our authority? What does that mean for our responsibility? It means that our job as Christians is not to decide what's true, like the world so often tells us, to find our truth, right? Based on what we like or feels good. No, as Christians, it's not our right to decide what's true. It, rather, it's our responsibility to seek the truth. Come on, Fran, say it again. We seek the truth so we might discover what's true. We don't decide. We seek so we might discover what Jesus already decided. It reminds me of this moment I had with my, my daughter, River, a few months ago, and just a bit of context. So Rebecca and I, my beautiful, amazing wife of 12 years, uh, we have a pretty incredible life rhythm for how our house works. And so she gets up kind of early on school days, makes breakfast and lunch for the kids. I get up, get them dressed, and load it up in the car so we can take them to school. And then pick up from school, could kind of go either way, um, but but I, I like to give Becca a little extra chill time after after work, so I typically go with the kids. But anyway, more information than you needed. Um, but after pickup one day, I'm cruising up Latuna Canyon with the kids in the back, and I'm like, so kids, how, how was school today? What did you learn at school? And my boy Ford, he's eight, like mid-snack and mid-book moment. He was just like, rah, 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 right? And... But my daughter, River, she's, she's six, and, and she said, she said, Daddy, today I learned about koalas. And forgive me if you've heard this, it's just so good. She said, Daddy, today I learned about koalas, and they are so cute. And, and as a good dad up front, I'm like, I want to engage, right? And so I'm like, River, that's so fun. I always loved I always loved koala bears. She said, what? I said, I, I, always, I, always, 
I always loved koala bears. They're very cute. And she, she rolled her eyes from the back seat and she said, Dad, koalas aren't bears. And I need you to understand, as a 42-year-old man who grew up staring down the package of koala yummies at the grocery store my whole, my whole time growing up, like, I listened, I insisted that to my six-year-old daughter that, of course, they're bears, River. Look at all their little bear features. And she said, no, they aren't. She said, they're mapupatos. <laughs> I said, what? She said, they're mapupatos. And I said, oh, they're marsupials. I said, nah, River, they're bears. They're koala bears. And so eventually we get home, okay? We get home and I hop on the computer and I search for koala. I got a picture of this. So first thing that shows up, what does it say? Yes. And I tell you what, I was feeling vindicated over my six-year-old daughter. And so I click on that first link and then my whole world comes crushing down around me. Because what does it say up here? It says, a koala, sometimes called a koala bear, is actually a marsupial, native to Australia. In the little green box, koalas are not bears. They're marsupials. Learn about koalas' unique traits. Click here. And so, and so this is what's true, friends, okay? This is what's true. And my girl, she knew what was true. And of course, I... I went back after and affirmed her intelligence about animals. You can clear that off there for me, Michael. But for me in that moment, I realized that for my whole life, what I believed to be true was actually false. And here's the thing. There was no amount, no amount of personal deciding on my part. No amount that would ever make a koala a bear. No amount of effort or intention on my part no amount of desire or debate or disagreeing could ever shape or change the truth and what is true about these animals. Why? Because Jesus, who is the truth, already determined what's true about koalas when he made them. Why? Because that's his job. As the way, the truth, and the life, and the creator of all things, he decides. Our job is simply to seek the truth and discover what's true, like I did day on Google. And y'all, let me just tell you, let me just tell you for good measure, God wants you to know the truth. He wants you to know what he decided is true. He doesn't want you living in the dark. He wants you living in the light with him. He wants you to know his way, his truth, and his life in all things. Not just church things, not just faith things. He wants you to know his truth in all things. He wants you to know and to know and underscope this, understand the scope of his power, the power that holds all things together and the complex scientific systems he put in place to govern the universe. He wants you to know these things. He wants you to discover what's true and what he calls science because science belongs to Jesus. And he wants you to understand it. He also want, wants you to understand um, his goodness and his mercy and his love that welcomes anyone who longs for a better way and a new life. He wants you to know what's true in forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption and second chances and how the past doesn't have to determine the future. God wants you to understand the best life can be this side of heaven and what it takes to get there. And he wants you to know, as we walk this road with him, he wants you to know and understand that there are things that break his heart, things called sin, 
And that sin has a unique ability to not only disconnect you from God, but also torment your soul. He wants you to know it so you might stay away from it. He wants you to know these things, all the things that are toxic and destroy our ability to be faithful. He wants you to know what's true across countless disciplines and every emphasis from koalas to chemistry to cancer to your personal calling. He wants you to know the truth and what is true. So much, in fact, that as Christians, we believe that he gave us himself as the Holy Spirit of truth to lead us and guide us into what's true. Check this out from Ephesians chapter 4. It says, Now these are the Holy Spirit-empowered gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then, verse 14, this is, this is the best. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that God has given you, the faithful, people that are with Jesus. He has given us the spirit of truth and empowered us to build the church on a firm foundation of Jesus by teaching the truth, teaching the church the truth, who is Jesus and what he says is true. And God does this. He empowers us with his spirit to do this so we'll no longer be immature like children. Honestly, We'll no longer be immature like me in the front seat of my car, taking my girl home, right? Won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced by lies so clever they sound like the truth, no matter how true they might seem. No, instead we might seek the truth, speak the truth in love. So we might grow more like him who is the head of his body, the church. Jesus is the truth. And it's on his foundation that we must reconstruct our lives with what he says is true in all things. And there is nothing off limits. Jesus determines and he decides what's true. But this means, friends, the faithful, Christians who I'm speaking to today, it means that you have a few decisions to make in reply. The first decision you need to make is do you believe Jesus is the truth? Because... You don't get to decide if Jesus is the truth. Jesus already is the truth. It's up to you to decide if you believe he is with the truth. The second thing you get to decide is, like we heard in our opening scripture from Colossians 2, it says that you must decide if you will actually follow him, if you'll seek him with your life, if you'll let your, the roots of your story grow down into his story and you build your faith upon him. That is up to you. The truth is already there. And what's true is already determined. But it's up to you to decide if you believe it and if you follow it. If you believe it and ultimately if you submit your life to it. Now, all that said, let's pause for just a moment and address the looming elephant in the room that is the modern understanding of truth in our world today. I, I know I mentioned it briefly earlier, but independent of intention 
or, or what might seem reasonable, our society as a whole, and you know this, it has swung to such an extreme that even the notion of what we talked about, the truth is determined by God, can seem closed-minded, it can seem ignorant at best, and borderline oppressive. Some might say it's violent at worst. Our modern understanding of truth is even at odds with science. Take faith out of the conversation altogether. Our society is even coming against observable, empirical evidence, and the scientific method is totally crazy. It reminds me of what we heard in Colossians 2. Our world has fallen victim to what Paul cautions us against. He's saying, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies. High-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Friends, the truth in our world today has become subjective. It has become flexible and pliable and established in our own lived preferences and experiences. I think best said, truth has become individual instead of absolute. And I need you to understand, with that, the truth has become individual instead of absolute. I, I need you to know that I understand the allure of this reality. I understand the allure of the idea that you can just find your own truth and decide what's true and real and good for you. Man, in the short term, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's exciting to think that you're in charge of your own life. It's, it's almost intoxicating to believe that you can be whoever you want and chart your own course based on what you think is best. No doubt, it makes sense why the world has been captured by this philosophy, this lie. We always have been. I mean, look back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter, uh, the beginning. Look at Adam and Eve. These folks literally walked in the presence of God. They literally walked with God with no limits, and nothing was hidden, and even they, having never experienced lack, even they were enticed to want more. Even they were enticed to decide what was good. Being, the, being with God wasn't good enough for them. They wanted to be their own gods too. And this is essentially what society, what enemy has tricked society into accepting as truth and the source for what's true. The enemy is telling us that you can be your own God. The enemy is telling us that if it doesn't feel good, leave it. If it doesn't make you happy, change it. You have agency to find your personal truth and decide what's true for you. And this message is indoctrinating our world from every angle. Every single angle. And again, there's something about it that kind of feels right deep in our humanity. But y'all, I'm here to tell you this message is a lie, and it's not true. Because you cannot decide what's true. You never could. You never could. Because you don't have the power and the authority to determine what's true. And if you're a Christian, this is paramount for you to understand that if you ever want to live faithful, Jesus determines what's true for you. He determines what's true for me, for this church, and for the world. And I tell you what, sometimes you'll like what he has to say. Forgiveness is wonderful. Sometimes you'll like what he has to say, sometimes you won't. But regardless of how you feel about it, this reality is true and the truth of being a Christian. Bringing it back around, friends, a koala will never be a bear. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter what I thought a koala was growing up. It doesn't matter 
what I wanted a koala to be. It doesn't matter if I had amazing moments with koalas and now it made me want to be a koala. It, it doesn't matter if I was traumatized, um, if I had a traumatic experience with other marsupials, right? And it triggered my brain into believing they're now bears. Like none of that lived experience, none of that lived experience has power. None of my preferences or my perspectives have any authority for establishing reality. Unless Jesus says otherwise, a koala will always be a marsupial. And I need you to understand that's something I'm still coming to grips with, okay? <laughs> but I must come to grips with it. Because Jesus is the truth, and he decides what's true. Does this make sense? Now, I'd like to... Um, at the risk of, uh, uh, let's just keep going here. Um, let's apply this logic. Let's apply this reality to a few other areas and examples that might run counter to the culture around us here in LA. And I'd like to start by talking about marriage. I'd like to talk about marriage, sexuality, and um, so the world would say, love is love. Find your truth. Find someone, anyone that makes you happy. Get married or don't. Doesn't matter. And if at some point that happiness or pleasure, that simplicity starts to fade, the world says start over because your happiness matters most. This is the message that we receive from the world. Now, what does Jesus say through the scriptures? Jesus tells us that marriage is permanent, that it's a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman and one God designed to reflect the covenant relationship Jesus made with the church. The relationship of submission, humility, patience, and sacrificial love. A relationship that's meant to grow stronger over time as two become one to join God in his kingdom work. This is what Jesus says is true about marriage. So which one must become the baseline understanding of marriage for Christians? Like it or not, feel good about it or not, independent of your own lived experiences, which I empathize, friends, it's got to be what Jesus says. Regardless of what you've always assumed to be true about marriage and sexuality and, and, and sex itself, like, regardless of what you assumed or believed or wanted to believe for Christians, the, the truth of Jesus has to win. What God says has to come first. Now let's talk a little bit about money and success. We live in, in a city defined by success and image and chasing the next thing. Now the world, when it comes to money and success, the world says chase it, dream it, achieve it at any cost, spare no expense. Leave anyone in your wake. You wanna be successful, keep climbing. You want happiness, make more money. You want status, buy that car, because all these things will bring you purpose and meaning and satisfaction. There's always more. The world says get there first. And this is what the world says is true. Now what does Jesus say about Success and money. Jesus says true success is found in humbling, humbly serving one another. The first should be last and the last should be first. And money and stuff, well, it's all inherently not good or bad. The love of money and stuff is the root of all evil. Jesus says everything belongs to me anyway. And so steward what you've been given your experiences, your resources, your stuff. Steward it, be generous with it, and don't get into debt chasing more. Because no one can serve two masters. So, so which one is right? 
which must be true of us. Chase your own dream at any cost or discover God's dream for you through his cross. You guessed it. Jesus has to win. Now, how about gender? This one has taken the world by storm in a way that I've never imagined. Under the influence of the enemy, the world says, it's up to you. Decide who you really are on the inside. Doesn't matter how you were born. Doesn't matter if your gender identity lines up with your biology. It's your call. And if you change your mind later, it's all good. Because the truth of your gender is entirely up to you and your feelings and what you decide. And if anyone has a problem with that, then they are oppressing your true self. This is what the world says. Now, what about Jesus? Let's take a look. Genesis chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So, verse 27, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Jesus says there are men and there are women, and he created them male and female. And this is what the truth uh, says is true about gender. Now, which one is right? Which one must be true of us as Christians if we're to be faithful to our confession? We must submit to what Jesus says. Is this making sense? Let's do one more, okay? Um, the world says, let's talk about religion and other religions. The religion and other religions. So the world says religion is optional. Uh, faith in God is optional. And within that option, the world says, all paths lead to a common end. So find your road, make your way, choose faith, and make it your own. And God, if he's good, he'll make everything work out in the end. You like Jesus? Great. How about East adding some Eastern mysticism too? You like God? Okay, how about we mix in some crystals, some tarot cards, some earth worship? Let's get, let's get the best of all the options in front of us. This is what the world says about religion. Now what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one will enter eternity except by me and me alone. Now, which one, which one is right? Obviously, you know what I'm talking about. Which one must be true for us as Christians? Jesus wins. He always wins because we believe he's the truth and he decides what's true. And I know, friends, I, I touched on some interesting subjects for a moment, but we could keep going on all day long. To help drive this home. We could talk about war, and we could talk about injustice, and we could talk about homelessness, and we could talk about the environment, and we could talk about, we could talk about all sorts of things. But I need you to understand that what we've been talking about, none of this is my truth. Nothing we've been talking about, none of this is my opinion based on, on, on my own preferences or my own background or feelings. No, this is simply what the truth has said is true. In the book that Christians have confessed to be his true word for thousands of years. And this has nothing to do with me. I'm just here today speaking the truth in love for no other agenda than our collective faithfulness to Jesus. 
And I get how we're all coming with different backgrounds. I totally understand. And I get how God is working on all of us at different places in our faith journey, no doubt. So I'm not coming at you today, again, with some legalistic, personal expectation for you to live and look like me. I just want us as a church to live like Jesus, to do what he said and to reset our understanding of truth and choose to trust what he says is true and good and right. And again, I know that some of you, for some of you, you might be a little apprehensive to step into this kind of trust with God. I get it. Some of you might be thinking, Pastor, I know you got good intentions talking about this, but I, I just can't believe God would do that or expect that or say that. Or, Pastor, you took that out of context when it comes to marriage or sexuality. And I want you to know maybe you're right. It's certainly possible that as we both seek the truth to know what he says is true, it's possible that I'm wrong. It's also possible that we'll come down on different sides of what's true, and I honor that, because at least we're seeking. At least we're seeking and submitting to him as truth. But friends, I will not honor a Christian's decision to intentionally live in ignorance. And I will not honor a Christian's decision to intentionally live contrary to what they understand to be true. Just because it's less fun, just because it's less popular, just because it's hard or limiting or the world looks at you like you are oppressive. Now, once you know the truth, friends, you are responsible. Once you know the truth, you are responsible, and there's no hiding from the truth. But why would you want to anyway? This is Jesus we're talking about. He's the best. He's in charge. He's in control of everything, and he knows what's best. He knows what's best for us more than we do. This is Jesus, and he knows what's good and real and will lead us to peace, and he loves us. He literally loves us to death so we might experience the best life can be. So why would we ever think that we know better? Why would we ever want to walk on our own when the truth is here and he is leading the way? We just need to seek him and submit to him and follow his way. And I'm under no illusion that this is easy. I'm under no illusion that as we begin this process of building that first floor of our faith on his truth, that this is just going to be simple. Like, of course, oh, Jesus, there it is. Now I got it. Absolutely not. But this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to build our lives on him, on the truth and what is true. Now, all that said, I, I came at you a little hard, and so as we uh, make our descent to land the plane into greater faithfulness today, I, I just want to leave you beyond the theory, okay? Beyond a few examples, I, I want to leave you with some, with some tools and a, a series of simple questions to help you inspect, to audit and dismantle and reconstruct your faith on the truth and what is true. Because y'all, even though it can be hard, and we all know this is challenging, to live faithful, even though it's hard, I know you, you don't want to go through the rest of your days living the metaphorical koala bear of faith, right? When the true marsupial way is available to you. I get that. I know you want to live faithful. That's why you're here. And so here are three simple questions, and you can write these down. Three questions to help you build your life on his truth. The first thing you need to ask yourself is, what did Jesus say? The second is, what did Jesus mean? And the third, hardest is, what are you going to do about it? 
So what did Jesus say? What did Jesus mean? What are you going to do about it? Let's start with what did Jesus say? The bird is very cute. I don't even know whose bird it is, but it's... Um, oh, I gotta, I'm going to point someone out in just a second. This is so cool. What did Jesus say is true? In the whole of Scripture, this is the question, what did Jesus say throughout the whole of Scripture? And, and you can fill in the blank on any questions you might have. What did Jesus say is true about? Because Jesus' truth has no limits, and so what did he say about specific things or a system of things that holds all things together? For example, uh, let's say you had a question. What does Jesus say about murder? He says, don't do it, right? Cool, that's pretty easy to find. Now, what does Jesus define as murder? It's a bit more complicated, right? What does Jesus say about space? Okay, it's there, we see it. What does Jesus say about black holes? Not much. No, but he did say that he created everything and he holds all things together. And so if you have a question about the truth, you seek him and you find what's true. And, and truth isn't just a series of facts, by the way. Truth is facts seen and lived through the person of Jesus. And so if you have a question about the truth, seek him and find what's true. And it might take more than a simple Google search to discover, but scripture says those who seek will find. And so get to it. Ask Jesus. Uh, what did Jesus say? Start with that. What did Jesus say? That's the first question. The second question is, what did Jesus mean? And I'm just about done. I'm sorry I'm running a little late. What did Jesus mean? I think we all know that things can easily be taken out of context, right? Or applied in ways that go beyond their intended meaning. The scriptures are written in multiple genres across thousands of years, and it takes some, some intelligence and some thought to process what God is saying and why. And so as you discover what Jesus said or what, what God has revealed through the scripture, sometimes you need to dig a little deeper, okay, to determine what he actually meant in, in, this, uh, in this time for this situation. Now, to ask what Jesus meant isn't to create exceptions, okay? It's not to create loopholes, but rather to get to the heart of why something is true. Jesus actually does this all the time throughout the Gospels when he says something like, you have heard it said, but I say, you have heard it said, but I say. And he does that to help create meaning for what's true. So dig deep beyond the literal to discover the intent behind the truth and what is true. And then finally, the last question is insanely practical. Once you know what Jesus said, what Jesus meant, you have to decide, what am I going to do about it? What am I actually going to do about it? Will you believe and trust and apply. Will you build your life on that truth or will you go another way? Will you wrestle with it or will you write it off? Will you live into it or pretend you never found it? The truth is available for you to discover. But whether you do anything about it, that's up to you. The truth is already determined and decided. That's on Jesus. But if you want to be faithful, you need to ask yourself daily, what am I going to do about it? And friends, you must decide what you're going to do about it. The structural integrity of your life and faith depends on how you answer that question. Because everything else in your life hangs in the literal balance of where you find truth and what is true. So as we close today, um, thanks for listening. I'm not going to make this intense or anything, but I do want to invite you in just a moment of prayer um, to believe Jesus is the truth.
maybe for the first time, maybe it's for the last, you know, for, this, for 70 years you've been already believing this stuff, but I just want to invite you into a moment of decision in your own heart and mind to believe that Jesus is the truth and to follow what he says is true. And so if you would just bow with me, I want to pray for you, extend this invitation. We're going to continue on next, uh, next week building on this truth, but uh, for today, let's just pray, and I want to just I just want to ask that God would move in this moment. So let's, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe you're real, you're good, you love us, and you lead to peace. Jesus, we acknowledge your goodness, we acknowledge your greatness, and we acknowledge that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And so today I ask that you would just lay heavy on our hearts and minds, that we would dedicate our life to you or rededicate our heart. Jesus, we ask that you'd move in us, that you'd awaken the synapses in our brain to comprehend and understand, maybe for the first time, that you are the truth and what you say is true in all things at all times. So Jesus, we ask that you would just impress your truth in us today that the Holy Spirit of truth would come and rest on us again and help us inspect and audit and, and determine all the things that we have been holding on to, all the, the falsehoods, all the lies that need to go, that need to strip off so we can be more faithful. All those extra timbers in the structure of our lives, God, that are warped and bent, and leading us to an eventual disaster. God, we ask that you'd help us see those and replace them with your firm foundation. So Jesus, we ask that you'd help us believe today. Help our unbelief. Help us trust you more with what is true. And God, help us live that out. That we would live in response to the things we know. God, give us the courage and the fortitude to actually be faithful. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.